I've been thinking about this Requiem by Mozart since we heard it in concert uh, last Tuesday. And it really is, the more I think about it, one of the more dour set of Requiem texts. Mournful that day when from the dust shall rise guilty man to be judged. And that's one of the lighter phrases. But it's also filled with the claims and the promise of God's mercy. The day of wrath and the black abyss give way to the holy light which thou didst promise to Abraham and his seed. The Beatitudes, which introduce the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon of the Kingdom, the Sermon that points toward the Lord's Prayer at the heart of what is almost a constitution of the communion of saints, the Sermon on the Mount takes a slightly different direction, emphasizing more the blessings bestowed upon us today in our brokenness, and how that's the beginning of the promise of greater joy and blessing yet to come when God's reign or rulership or kingdom is made fully manifest. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are you today, for you will find blessing yet to come. Now, this combination of need and hope, of sin and forgiveness, of judgment and mercy, pain and restoration, these things mark the communion of saints across the world and down the ages and mark the communion as an oddity, a challenge to prevailing norms and prevailing culture. You may have seen those ads that are pretty ubiquitous at the moment uh, for the Mormons that have been popping up all over the place. And they frequently involve someone who I think is meant to come across as pretty normal and mainstream, who then at the end of introducing themselves, and I'm a Mormon. And more power to them as they confront the prejudice where over 50% of Americans apparently would not say they would not vote for a Mormon, and we have two Mormons who are candidates for the presidential nomination. They seem to be saying, no, we're really okay. But it set me in mind, I was having a conversation with a student, it set me in mind imagining what our ads might look like if we were going <laughs> to do this. And I thought, well, we'd look fairly normal, or at least some of us would. And then we'd say, and I'm a Christian, or I'm an Episcopalian. And what we'd be saying, in effect, is, and I'm really odd. <laughs> because we'd be recognizing that we are, in fact, a, a marginal people in this world. That we believe ourselves 11 in the world, certainly, and believe ourselves to be embodied signs of the kingdom, the embodiment of the, the current embodiment of the communion of saints across the world and down the ages. We're different. When the world despises need and weakness, except when we can praise people who exercise power by meeting the needs of others. Or when the world despises servitude, except when it's volunteerism that will help you get up, get on in college, or get on in your career. Nothing wrong with it, but it's not quite what we're up to. When the world honors generosity as noblesse oblige, but you can go in a bookstore, the remaining few bookstores that there are, and find a library of books that tell you, pay yourself first. You earned your money. You deserve it. We say something different. We say it's a gift of grace. All we are and all we have. We say that it is in kind of weakness 
kind of recognition of brokenness, kind of place of need, that we begin to find real power and the source of real hope. Blessed are you when you mourn or hunger for righteousness or make peace in the midst of violence or extend mercy when the world calls you a sucker, when the world calls you foolish. Blessed are you. We follow a Lord whose throne is an instrument of shame, but who even on the cross bears witness to the greater power of the source of life. We serve not to build our resumes, but because we find that liberating. And we give in sustained and sustaining and committed ways because we know that it's in such giving and recognition that all we have is God's in the first place and such giving away that we find we start receiving abundance. The world says your money is yours and you've earned it. And we say, no, that is a gift entrusted to our care. And we bear witness to that in the way we share those gifts. The world tells us we are valuable when we can consume. And we can see how those who can't consume are valued. And while we recognize that participating in the economy is good for everyone, we say that we're valuable whether or not we can consume. We say we are no more valuable if we can consume than if we can't. We say we are of infinite worth, infinite value, because we're made by love and we're made for love. Now, we may get to be part of this great communion of saints as a gift from our parents who raised us that way, or we may have found ourselves coming to the community in some point of need, but sooner or later, life is going to demand of every single one of us, is going to call the question of what it means to put our whole trust in God's grace and love. It's going to make that putting of trust in God real. I attended uh, recently the annual banquet and celebration of one of Atlanta's most powerful ministries. It's called the Metro Atlanta Recovery Residences, or MAR. And the speaker at the dinner was a doctor, and I can't do justice to his story, but he had struggled with addiction uh, over many, many years. And he addressed the dilemma that happens for so many in recovery, and that is you do, he, did, he did over and over everything right. He went to treatment programs, he got sponsors, he worked the 12 steps, he read the books, he exercised his will, he confessed where he, he had pride, and all of that sort of thing. And he told the story of how after 20 years, he was sitting with a bottle of vodka outside a shabby building, and that shabby building housed what was to be his fifth treatment center. He didn't know why, why these things didn't work for him as they don't for many. And he knew that at some point the drabness of his life would lead him back to the bottle. But in that particular program, that particular time, someone said something to him that began to open up another possibility for him. And he started hearing for the first time something he hadn't heard before, and that is how all of this work that he'd been doing all this work that he'd been accomplishing was actually founded on spiritual principles and founded on things like integrity and honor.
love and courage. And he started hearing the steps in a new way. And what he said he realized, among many things he said, was he realized that he could go through a day, and his day would be ex just the same, but it would make all the difference to him as to how he looked at it. He said he can go through a day afraid all the time, afraid that he's going to sabotage himself, afraid that he's going to take another drink, afraid that he's going to fail, and know that life sober just isn't that much fun. Just confronting fear all the time. He said, or he could go through the very same day and realize that actually he was, uh, he was succeeding in being courageous in the face of fear. And he could, at the end of the day, look back and say, I have been courageous. I have lived with integrity. I have been honorable. And he began to realize in that moment, is what he said, that he had hope, that he had, for the first time, a reasonable and holy hope that things could be different, and that freed him. Now, he wouldn't describe himself as religious, but he saw making those kind of choices as spiritual. And it's those, that kind of deep, deep, deep recognition of need that we hear testimony in our own ministry of Transformation Covenant community. Come to one of the celebrations and graduations and you'll hear stories like Dr. Michael Oz or in many of the other wonderful ministries of recovery that you're involved in. See, there's something about getting to that point where we have to trust something beyond ourselves. And we have to trust in the mercy of God, particularly embodied in the communion of saints. So you're probably sitting next to someone because every year there are people who can't make their pledge, can't do what they said, no fault of their own. And even if it is their own fault, still need the mercy of Joe. So yes, you could, your children can come to class. You can come to Kanuka. You can enjoy things. You're still a valued person in this communion of saints. Or someone who, through his own fault, has messed up doesn't know how to feed his family and comes to the church. And sometimes we can collectively help meet those needs. And it's hard to ask. And it can feel shaming. It can feel all kinds of things when you need, really need, and you hit bottom in a sense. Or a woman who can't afford to bury a mother and the church can help. Now, those people are sitting next to you, and they don't know your needs either. But in the communion of saints, somehow, somehow in God's economy, these things, when we learn to trust, become transformative. It's in the brokenness that the power is found. In 2009, as the recession was at its most challenging for us here, we decided to be more the church, had to make some cuts in program, but we increased giving, and we increased giving for these kind of individual needs, and we've been able to meet more than we could in the past. But more important, we've been bearing witness to what the world calls weakness, becoming the source of power, and a call to real faith in the communion of saints, this marginal and odd community. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And the great Flannery O'Connor 
supplemented that by saying, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. And she's right. She's right. You're blessed when you are overflowing with joy, and you don't even know how to express it, for you will find a place of connection and communion. And blessed are you when you need forgiveness, when you have messed up, because you will be restored and forgiven and freed. And blessed are you when you are in need, as I have been very publicly and many times and have had to throw yourself on the mercy of God and the embodiment of that mercy in the church, the communion of saints, for you will find that your relationship with that communion is deepened and made more real. And blessed are you when you learn again that service, giving yourself, makes you free, and generosity leads to abundance, and dying to those arrogant, prideful things within ourselves is in fact allows us to be more fully alive in God. Blessed are you when you hunger, when you thirst for righteousness, when you wish things could be different. For when you trust God, you will be filled. So as ever, let us respond to the gospel in silence and in prayer. This need is what we're singing about with Mozart, the judgment of God and the promise of restoration. Let us give thanks for those we love but see no longer, for the great communion of saints across the world and down the ages of which we are a part, and for our continuing work, our continuing experience of God's grace as we discover the fullness of the promise of the kingdom of God in our lives and in our midst. In silence, let us pray.